Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Happily back in Stark Vegas, though I wish I was still in Omaha. But I would only want to be in Omaha still if the Diamond Dogs were with me, you know? College World Series final series will begin tonight between Vanderbilt and Michigan. I've got a few things to say about that and about the state of college baseball and several other things. I don't know how long we'll talk today, but i uh, got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover. One of the things that I'll tell you, the, I was gone, for, I guess, for 10 days, and that, that's among the longest times that I've been gone you know, for a stretch there. You know, I've covered the U.S. Army All-American game, the offense-defense game, the Under Armour game, and, and, and those, you know, that's usually a week. You show up on check-in day and you leave the day of the game. Uh, this was a little different. 
it was an absolutely wonderful experience. Uh, the end result was standing. You know, only one team is going to hoist that trophy. In one year, that's going to be us. At least one year. We're going to win an NFL championship. Uh, I, of this, I am convinced, especially after being there and seeing all up close. We're actually really close. We're very, very close. And you go back and you think about the things that have happened and think about this team. And, and really, if you begin to think about how we entered the season, most of us in our own, you know, fandom, you know, I guess in our exuberance last year, you know, we made that run to Omaha in 2018, which, you know, really we expected to have a good team. We didn't expect to end up in Omaha. We, we, we wanted to be there, but we didn't expect it. And then we, we pull it off. We get there. And then you, you begin to see some stars and the identity of this team really emerge. And that's kind of how it all looked. And I, I said last year on this show that it was Omaha or Bus in 2019. I didn't care who the coach was going to be. I, I didn't care who the third starter was going to be on the weekends. That it was Omaha or Bus because we knew what we had in Ethan Small. We knew Peyton Plumley was coming back, and he, was, he absolutely tore up the Cape Cod Leagues last year. So we felt like at that point, you know what, we've got, we feel good about two starters, but we've got a great offense. And then the SEC coaches pick a sixth in the SEC West, and we're going to finish no worse than six in the country. So I think maybe we all knew something they didn't know. And I think one of the main reasons, things that we knew, is the fact that you returned so many position players, you returned so many guys to a lineup that was uh, pretty potent down the stretch, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. Uh, as, as we had on Friday's show, I kind of began to look a little bit forward, and, and I'm not going to go back and recap that show, but uh, if you want to go back, if you were looking for that recap of what the season was and kind of projecting what the season could be next year, I think we can be back in Omaha next year. I really do. I, I, I believe that's going to depend on a super regional matchup because I believe Mississippi State will host a regional next year. I don't know if we're a top eight national seed. We'll see how that all kind of plays out. But I do expect Mississippi State to host a regional next year, and then we'll see what happens in the next round. But I believe Mississippi State will have the lineup and the weekend pitching to be back in Omaha next year. We have never gone to Omaha three consecutive years. Never done it. We have only gone to Omaha in back-to-back years twice, and that includes 1819-9798. Big shout-out to our 9798 dogs. I, I, those are some of my favorite teams, you know, the Brooks, Brian, uh, Brian Weiss, Richard Lee, Jeremy Jackson, Chris Reinecke, Chris Lauterhaus, teams. like those teams. Eric Dubose. You know, we had some good players. I think that 97 team could have won the whole thing. You know, we get in the loser's bracket game because we lose that 4-3 ball game in Alabama. But that's another, another story for another day. But we've never gone three years in a row. We've got a chance to do that. And later this week, I'm going to get in and kind of break down SEC baseball. Because we've got some time, okay? The, the dead period for recruiting has begun for the summer. Not going to be a lot of ebb and flow with recruiting right now. So we've got some time to kind of forecast some football stuff. But I'm going to take some time this week, and we're going to talk about what to expect in the SEC baseball season next year. We're going to talk about that this week, later this week. Not today, but later this week. I'm going to go ahead and break that down and do the research. I'll write an article, and I'll talk about it here on the show. And we'll talk about, you know, who we expect to be good, uh, who we expect to be rebuilding. You know, there's never any uh, shortage of talent in the Southeastern Conference. But I think Mississippi State, when you begin to look at, because that's part of the equation. You can't just look at what you have coming back. You've got to look at who you're competing against. And one of the things that I'm excited about 
and I might be the only one, but I like the fact that we have a new rival in the SEC. We have, we've got a new rival, and that's Arkansas. And if you look at what's happened on social media and you look at how we've both played against each other, and we've got them coming here next year, Arkansas is going to be a good team next year. Now, they're going to need you – know, they're losing their Friday night guy just like Mississippi State is. But uh, these – I think Arkansas, it's going to be Arkansas and Mississippi State at the top of the West again next year. And I look forward to the fact that we've got them coming here because all of a sudden I'm beginning to think, okay, based on recent history in this series, that should really favor Mississippi State. But, again, we'll get into that a little bit later in, in, in the week. I'm excited about that because, I, again, I believe Mississippi State has the potential to go to Omaha again next year. And I don't mean just because of the fact that we're in the conversation. I think we have the talent returning to get back to Omaha. And uh, we'll see how things develop. But, uh, but, again, look for that later this week. I want to thank our friends at Campus Bookmark, Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, the whole crew there will treat you like family because you are family. Go in, say hello grab a picture, grab some memorabilia, some novelty items, some Mississippi State maroon and white outfits, your home, your office, your RV, your vehicle, your children, your pets. You can get anything you want there. And if they don't have it in stock, they can get it for you. Campus Bookmark is without a doubt a Starkvillian institution. We encourage you, if you can't make it to town, shop in person. Visit them at campusbookmark.net. Again, that's campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, We'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, you know it. Absolutely incomplete. Well, let's get into this a little bit here, and let's talk a little bit about you know, summer baseball is beginning for Mississippi State. we got a couple guys already out there playing. There's a lot of guys are getting settled. You know, we've got some other guys, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tanner Allen, Jordan Westbrook, Justin Foscue, they're all at uh, Team USA tryouts. Don't know if they'll make it, but they were invited, and they're going to work through that, and then they'll report for their assignments. Uh, we'll have some guys in the Cape this summer. We'll have some guys playing in the Perfect Game League. There'll be a lot of guys out there moving around. There'll be a lot of moving parts to every bit of that. But um, a couple things I'll share with you about that is to make sure that you're you know, kind of aware of what to expect. So as it stands right now, we expect – Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, Jen West, Jordan Westberg to end up playing in the Cape. We think that's pretty much uh, still waiting to hear what's going to happen with, uh, with Foscue and, uh, and Luke Hancock and some other guys. Uh, Bryce Brock, Landon Jordan, Brandon Smith, Eric Sarantola, Josh Hatcher all expected to go to the perfect game league. And there'll be some other guys kind of scattered around. Uh, but uh, Christian McLeod, uh, Mississippi State, big-time pitcher Christian McLeod, is going to spend his summer in Starkville. And it kind of continuing to kind of rehab and get back into shape. Now, he's in good health, but he, he's a little bit behind where he should be. They're not going to send him out. He's going to work and get his workouts here. Christian McLeod, in many respects, is, is one of the big keys to next season. If he comes in and performs up to expectations, and, and listen, I'm, there was some discussions between Scott Foxhall and I that he, he was a guy that was a candidate. If he had been healthy this year, he was a candidate to pitch on the weekends this year. That's how talented he is. And so now he's had the benefit of the red shirt, shirt year to kind of acclimate and get used to college courses and all that kind of stuff and get used to college coaching. And now he's rounding back into good form. And so, you know, we expect him to be a guy – like if I had to go out here based on the returning guys, I think you look at JT Ginn, Eric Sarantola, and Christian McLeod as your guys for next year. Absolutely electric stuff, guys that have Major League Baseball aspirations and ability. 
And so I think we feel good about that. But McLeod going to be here. Then we'll see what that means kind of going forward. But uh, they're going to take care of him because he is a big part of things. Not that they wouldn't take care of anybody, but they're going to take special care of him just because of the fact that he's he's had the illness, you know, had mono, I guess it was, and a pneumonia, and, and it just kind of it lingered for a while. And uh, so, but he's good. He's going to be great when it's all said and done. Everybody just needs to be prepared for that. But uh, summer baseball, big part of things. And uh, Gene's going to be out, Gene Swindoll, the um, – Going to be out doing the uh, the summer baseball tour for us this year, going out and uh, getting to know many of the signees, okay, not going to the cave. We're going to go to the Wooden Bat Tournament in Marietta, Georgia, uh, and get out and go see some of these new guys, these newcomers coming in. Excited to see that. You can look for that on Gene's page. If you're not on Gene's page, a subscriber, what are you doing with your life? But we'll have all of that, you know, coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We'll get out and go see those guys in person. Because Mississippi State baseball, I want to make sure that you guys completely understand this because I don't think some of you guys are listening. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. Mississippi State baseball is back. Okay, Mississippi State baseball is back to being a SEC title contender, an Omaha regular, and a College World Series finalist type team. We're back. Now, for many of you, especially you, you younger cats, you don't really know what it means for Mississippi State baseball to be the quote dominant program in this in these parts. You don't you don't you, you've seen flashes at times. You, you're about to see it with greater regularity. And let me explain to you why that is. Number one, we're going to have some stability. Knock on wood with our head coach. Chris Lamonis sees Mississippi State as a destination job. Chris Lamonis is a very family-oriented person. Chris Lamonis is a tireless recruiter. Chris Lamonis is a tremendous evaluator of talent. Chris Lamonis is a great manager of his staff and his roster. And so you've got the right guy. And there were some people, of course, I, I know that the hipster thing to do is to be critical of everything. You know, it's like, oh, well, I wanted this guy. And you don't know anything about him. You just know his name. You know, it's that's that's the thing. So be hypercritical of every decision that's ever made. Chris Lamonis is the guy from Mississippi State. John Cohen told me during the coaching search he was looking for a generational coach. They wanted somebody like a Ron Polk. They wanted somebody that would be here for the remainder of their career. They wanted somebody that would become an institution at Mississippi State. We didn't want to have to go through this and every four or five years, you know, hire a new coach. You've heard Jake Mangum say it. He grew up with a tremendous amount of respect for Ron Polk because Ron Polk was here. Ron Polk did it for a long time. Ron Polk was an institution. Spending some time in Omaha this week, people still mention Ron Polk. I had the opportunity to visit with legendary Wichita State head baseball coach Gene Stevenson. He mentions Ron Polk. He mentions a handful of names of guys that, uh, in his mind, are some of the greatest minds in college baseball history. Didn't mention himself. Did mention Ron Polk. Visiting some with Florida State, now retired Florida State coach Mike Martin. He mentioned a handful of guys that he had some absolute wars with over the years and guys that he felt were true gentlemen in college baseball. He mentioned Ron Frazier. He mentioned Skip Bertman. He mentioned Ron Polk. But that's what we want. We want a guy that is going to develop into one of the best baseball coaches in the country that has a a level of respect that is unsurpassed, a guy that's going to be here, for the duration of his career. 
And I believe we have that in Chris Lamonis and being around Chris as much as I have been this year. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and this, this might hurt some feelings, and I'm okay with that, okay? I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. You can learn a lot about your baseball team covering them at home, but you're going to learn even more covering them on the road. They're going to talk to you. You're going you're gonna to get some information out there on the road that you don't always get at home. You know, there's a lot of cameras in people's faces, that sort of stuff. A lot of things I'll tell you, I'll share with you. In my interactions with Chris Lamonis, I can tell you that he loves Mississippi State. He loves Starkville. He loves the, the working arrangement here at Mississippi State. Loves John Cohen. Loves Dr. Mark Keenum. Believes he has everything in the world he could possibly ever need to be successful. And that's not just from a facility standpoint. That's from a commitment standpoint on behalf of this fan base and a commitment on behalf of this university. He gets it. He also understands that we expect to win a national championship. It's not that we just want to. It's not that we just want to go out there and have a good team and be able to go to Omaha every few years and get a new T-shirt. That's not what we're looking for. He understands the expectations of this fan base and his administration that we expect to win championships. Not a championship, championships with an S. He gets it. He understands it. He's embraced those expectations, and he says, you know, hey, it's, it's just a matter of time before Mississippi State wins a national championship. Visiting with Coach Serrano, who was, now, was announced yesterday as the uh, new coach at, uh, I guess, California Northridge, former coach at Tennessee, he says one of the greatest injustices in college baseball is Mississippi State doesn't have a national championship. And, I, I Coach, we all agree. <laughs> we, we absolutely agree. And he says at some point that the championship will match the commitment that has been made. Because the commitment, and this is from college baseball people. This isn't just, you know, folks that put on an M over S hat and say, you know what, we really want to win. These are people that know the game. And say, Mississippi State, the giant has been awakened. And that's how it feels for me, too. When I, when I begin to look at what's happening here, it's not just about the new dude. There's a new attitude when it comes to Mississippi State baseball. You can throw in the Jake Mangum effect. Jake Mangum has come in here and has made Mississippi State the pick once again. And I had several people, not just national baseball media, not just the Aaron Fitz and Teddy Cahills and Kendall Rogers, not just those guys, but Dave Serrano, Mike Martin, some of these legends in the game, talk about what Jake Mangum has meant for college baseball as a whole, not just Mississippi State baseball, not just SEC baseball, but college baseball as a whole. That's a big part of things. Jake Magum, a great ambassador for Mississippi State, great representative of his family, a treasure to those of us that wear the maroon and white. But Jake has elevated the profile of Mississippi State, not just in recruiting circles, but I think everybody says, you know what, you need some transcendent players to take you to a new level. And Jake Mangum is a guy that gets it. Now, I figure one day that I'll be uh, I'll be covering a press conference where we announce Jake Mangum as the head baseball coach at Mississippi State. I think that's uh, I think that's just a matter of time as well. You know, Jake will go off and spend several years playing professional baseball. He'll probably come back, be the hitting coach someday. And then when Chris Monis retires, he'll uh, take over as the head baseball coach. I mean, I, I I can see that happening. I'm sure you all can too. But Jake sees the bigger picture. 
Jake sees it as just it's more beyond just Mississippi State. It's more beyond a season. It's more beyond a trophy. It's more beyond a rivalry. There's a bigger picture here. And you heard him speak at length about the importance of the, you know, the scholarship limitations and the importance of uh, the, the, the third full-time assistant coach. I mean, that, all of that stuff is important. But what that tells me about Jake Mangum is that Jake sees college baseball in its entirety, not just for what college baseball did for Jake Mangum, but for what, for what Jake Mangum can do for the game. And what Jake Mangum did with his platform to say, you know what, here I am at the College World Series, and my, my career is over. And it would be easy for me to pout, it would be easy for me to take my glove and my hat and get on a plane and go on out there and begin my minor league baseball career. I could do that. But instead, before I leave, on my way out the door, let me tell you some things in college baseball that need to be fixed. And he addressed those things. And he didn't owe that to anybody. But in his mind, he felt that he owed it to the game. The future of college baseball is what he's speaking to now. That now he has done all he can do to help the current state of college baseball and the current state of Mississippi State baseball. But now let's look at the future. I had an opportunity to share some messages with Jake. And he made a great point. You know, because all of us, and I, and I read the social media postings, I see the people on Facebook, and, and listen, it's it's very sad when players exhaust their eligibility. It's, it's, it's very sad, especially a guy that's been as giving as Jake Mangum has been. And listen, there are a lot of our baseball players that are they're cut from the same cloth. They sign every autograph, take every picture, happy to do it. Happy to make your kid's day. Because they know what it's like to be that kid. And had to look up to somebody and... Uh, they don't want anybody to walk away from a Mississippi State baseball game with a negative feeling or a negative impression of them. It's a big part of things. But I think when you begin to kind of look back on all this and look at what you know Jake Mangum has done, you can be excited about the future. But a lot of our folks on social media, and, and they get, you know, they, it's almost like a funeral. And, and Jake made a great point. He says, I will always be involved Mississippi State baseball. It'll just be a little different now. And it'll, it'll be a lot different in many respects because we won't be able to depend on Jake to go up there and get us a leadoff single in a ninth inning when we need to run. You know what I'm saying? But for Jake, Jake, Jake signed a baseball scholarship, but Jake signed a lifetime covenant with Mississippi State to always be a Bulldog. That's one of the things that irritates me is people say, well, it's, this, he's a former Bulldog. No, Jake Mangum is a former Mississippi State player, Jake Mangum will always be a Bulldog. He will be a Bulldog until the day that he dies. And then once he is gone, his memory will remain as a Bulldog. There are no former Bulldogs. There are former players. And Jake Mangum has proven that. And uh, I think you'll see Jake around campus a lot. And Jake will be every, you know, he'll be he'll be around. And Jake will probably be back in class this fall. I understand he's still got a couple courses to finish up on. So we'll probably see Jake around some uh, this fall. So if you see him on campus, be sure to ask him for a picture. He'll be more than happy to give you one. I want to remind you, too, when you're back on campus, Bulldog Burger Company is the place where the cool kids go to break bread. It is absolutely the best place in town to go get a great restaurant-quality hamburger, but it's so much more than that. It's not just hamburgers. And if it was just hamburgers, that in and of itself would be enough, but it's not. You can have the spring rolls. You can have those fantastic chicken wings. If you're a little bit health conscious, you know what? You, you can get your hamburger with a gluten-free bun. You can get a wheat-free bun. You can get no bun. You can have it served on a bed of lettuce. You can get an, a salad. The BLT salad is fantastic. You can get the kale state salad. There are several 
options for you for 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 no matter your dining experience what you're seeking you can have it there you can have the adult beverage you can have that milkshake to go go by check out bulldog burger company and let me encourage you to follow them on instagram and twitter get involved get plugged in with them on social media they have daily specials and you're going to want to be up to date with that not to mention you could use some color on your uh, on your timeline Nothing like that great restaurant quality hamburger to remind you that there are some finer things in life you should treat yourself to from every now and again. Be sure to go by and check out Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So I want to talk a little more about college baseball because, you know, Vanderbilt and Michigan uh, are going to play tonight. And uh, I will be re- I will, I'll be pulling for Michigan because uh, in, in really that's kind of the lesser of two evils. It's a lesser of two evils. So, because what is happening in college baseball, and it, it, there's never any shortage of things for us to complain about, okay? Uh, the 11.7 scholarship limitations for, for baseball is criminal. It's absolutely ridiculous. I also understand that there are a lot of programs around the country that lose a ton of money on college baseball. I get it. I understand. But we've got to change how we allocate scholarships. We have to. And, and at the end of the day, I don't know all the economics when it comes to institutions of higher learning. So I won't pretend to. But I will say, it is amazing to me that we can have 25,000 fans per game at the NCAA College World Series. And everybody out there, you know, the, 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 the I'm sure most of the head coaches have a, uh, you know, have a, a, an amplifier in their contracts. If you make a College World Series appearance, you get a nice bonus. Uh, the best of the best of the umpires get a chance to work those games and those that they don't work cheap even though sometimes it appears that way. The uh, $70 million, I think it's the, the figure we were quoted that the College World Series were bringing $70 million to Omaha. $70 million. And uh, we've got college baseball players having to take out student loans in order to play college baseball. It's just wrong. It's wrong. And, uh, it, it, and at some point, it's going to be challenged. But there are a few things that people, I think, need to know. Uh, number one is that uh, that there is a way to make this thing work. There, there's absolutely a way to, to make this thing work. And that, but because here's what's happening: <clears throat> because of the fact that you're shortchanging college baseball, and it's not the baseball players' fault that they happen to excel in a quote non-revenue-producing sport, even though I'd beg to to differ in the Southeastern Conference. Mississippi State's going to make money on baseball this year. But there are a lot of people out there that would argue, well, you know, they just don't pack them in the, the way they do for football. And that's true, and football will always be the golden calf that, that feeds the rest of the athletic department. You know, we lose a ton of money in women's basketball, despite the fact that we sell out almost every time. We do what we have to do. But what's happening is because of the fact they shortchanged scholarships, people are getting creative. People are getting creative. And, uh, and, and so let me go ahead and explain this to you as best I can. I'm going to have much more on this later in the summer. Give me some time, okay? Uh, but the bottom line is this, is that what it, you, Michigan and Vanderbilt are going to play tonight, and they're going to have more than the 11.7 scholarships on display. There is a, a loophole that is being exploited, and I've talked about this on Gene's page, and people always want me to expound on it, and, I, and eventually I'm going to, but I want to share some information with you. So here's how it works. Number one, it is not Ill- illegal. It's the first thing that I will say. It is not illegal. The NCAA, I've read the legislation. There is a rule 
that allows for five need-based scholarships annually. So that's five this year, five next year, five next year, and on down the line. Vanderbilt, because of their wealthy endowment, they are able to fund those scholarships. Most public institutions are unable to do, to do that. And there's a certain level of scrutiny that comes along with that. Vanderbilt is supplementing the 11.7 scholarships. And so let's say, so Steve, well, why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. So let's say for an example, if Mississippi State and let's say LSU are recruiting, you know, Jonathan Dixon from Bug Tussle High School, and uh, he's a guy with uh, big-time ability, left-hand pitcher throwing mid 90s striking out two per inning. And Mississippi State and LSU come in and say, listen, you know, we, uh, we've only got 11.7 scholarships, but we will give you 65%. And then LSU comes back and says, well, we'll give you 70%. And the Mississippi State says, we'll give you 75, but that taps us out. We're going to have to, you know, shortchange somebody else. We'll give you 75%. But then Vanderbilt comes in and says, well, listen, you know, Johnny, it looks like that your mom and dad make less than X number of dollars per year. So there is a program that we can utilize and we'll give you a 100% scholarship, 100%. And so now you've got a kid that is somewhat stretched financially, somewhat limited financially, and now he's looking at Mississippi State and LSU, and they're going to give him a great scholarship, but his family has to come up with the other 25% somewhere whether it be student loans or Pell Grants or out of their own pocket, there's got to be some way to, to, to correct the shortfall. Well, Vanderbilt's like, you know, listen, we'll remove all that stress from you. You don't even have to worry about that. You don't have to go get student loans. You don't have to worry about Pell Grants. You don't even have to worry about it. You know, I don't even know if you have to fill out your FAFSA. <laughs> but we'll, we'll take care of everything. Just come play baseball at Vanderbilt. We'll take care of everything. And they do, and then that scholarship does not count towards 11.7. Again, five annually. So they're able to add five players per year at 100% scholarship as long as they meet certain requirements when it comes to socioeconomic status. They're able to go out there and add players at 100% scholarship because they're a little bit challenged economically. And if you don't think that's a huge advantage, then you have somebody else listen to the show and explain it to you. If a kid like that, that whose family has no idea how they're going to pay for college, is given the opportunity to go for free, there's no decision to be made. So they're going to get that player. That same player that stayed in OSU won, he's going to go to Vanderbilt for free. And then they're going to have their 11.7 to still utilize. And so kind of how the Vandy model works is this is they have some very wealthy people, some very wealthy students that, hey, listen, my kid plays uh, college baseball, and but we also understand the value of that Vanderbilt degree. So, listen, we just want him to have the prestige and the notoriety of having that Vanderbilt degree. We'll, we'll pay our own way if you'll just let us walk on. And there are several walk-ons each year. And so those people pay their way. And then there are those that fall under the economic threshold of the need-based aid well, now all of a sudden, those kids, five of those kids are coming for free. And so then they use the rest of that 11.7 to supplement the rest of the roster. So then those players are getting a, big, a bigger chunk of change because there is more of the pie to go, go around because the wealthy players' families are not paying anything. They're not, they're not getting any scholarship money. 
and then your five need based guys per year are getting 100%. So you now you can begin to look. They've got the same pie as everybody else. They're just able to cut a bigger slice. And so many of you are saying, well, Steve, well, why can't we do it? Because we simply can't afford to. Now, if you guys want to go start a GoFundMe, you know, and, and let John Cohen know, hey, listen, we'll, uh, we'll pay extra for our tickets or we'll make bigger donations to the Diamond Club or whatever, whatever we've got to do, and we'll just start, we'll start paying these need-based scholarships. We'll give you the tools you need. Because unless this loophole, and again, Vanderbilt is not doing anything illegal, and Michigan is doing some of the same things. Even though Michigan is a publicly funded institution, they have a huge endowment. I don't know if you know this, the head coach at Michigan, former recruiting coordinator at Vanderbilt, very well versed in how the process works. Okay? Now, if you just want to enjoy college baseball and say, you know what, Steve, I don't care about the economics, I don't care about recruiting, I just want to go win. Okay, cool. But this is the greatest inequity in all of college athletics. And nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care that Vanderbilt and and these private schools with these rich endowments, they have a huge advantage over the rest of us. Huge. And Vanderbilt folks will say, well, you know, it costs a lot more money to go to school at Vanderbilt. That's true, but you guys hit those prices. And again, Vanderbilt is not doing anything illegal. You could argue that it's unethical, but as long as the NCAA allows the need-based scholarship to be utilized and not count against 11.7, then Vanderbilt would be an absolute fool not to utilize that resource. So the loophole needs to be changed. The loophole needs to be changed. There needs to be greater academic components with that because, like, here's the thing. As long as you qualify to the clearinghouse, the admissions process is a lot different. It's a lot different. It's like, say, for an example, if your kid wanted to go to Vanderbilt or somebody's private schools, you know, they've got a nice waiting list. They can kind of pick and choose who they want. But if you're a student athlete and then they, they've picked you, it's just like we saw with the – that's not just like it, but it's similar to the whole deal with the uh, with the parents and the, uh, you know, the, the, the Stanford rowing coach or diving coach, whatever it was, and they let those kids come beyond to, to kind of circumvent the admissions process to get their kids in the school. It's a similar deal, similar deal. But again, if the shoe was on the other foot and we had the ability to fund scholarships and, and, and they couldn't, we'd be fools not to use it. So I'm not faulting Vanderbilt for using the tools necessary to add the best players available to their college baseball roster to compete at a high level. Not faulting them at all. Not faulting Tim Corbin on it. Not faulting the Vandy administration but I'm faulting NCAA for allowing that to continue because it is not a level playing field. And you want to look and say, well, Steve, does it really matter that much? Go look at Rice. Go look at Tulane. You remember, you remember when Rice was a college baseball power? Remember that? It's because they were able to utilize that program. They're no, no longer doing it. They're still a good baseball program. They're no longer a power. They lost to Southern Miss in the Conference USA tournament this year. A good baseball program, no longer elite. Remember when Tulane made a run here several years ago? They began to utilize need-based scholarships to supplement the 11.7 baseball grants. And then Katrina came, and a lot changed. No longer had those resources. And all of a sudden, now Tulane is just kind of a footnote in college baseball. So yes, it matters. And if, if you don't realize how much it matters, you're not paying attention. 
And again, this is not me hating on Vanderbilt. You know, Mississippi State, quite, I'll be honest with you, State should have beat Vanderbilt. Okay? We, we, we gave the game away. There's not a lot of separation between Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, woe is me. We've got great players. They've got great players. They've got a little more depth in that bullpen and the pitching than we do. And some of that, I think, is a direct result of the fact that they've got the need-based scholarships. I know a couple names. I can't confirm that they're on need-based scholarships. I won't mention the names, but there are a couple guys that are very prominent in the Vanderbilt pitching staff that are, are perfect candidates for that. And so, again, a lot of people don't get up in arms, but I say, well, you know, we've got to let Vanderbilt be good at something. I think Vanderbilt's good at a lot of things. But I don't think that they should have an unfair advantage because of the fact they've got a huge endowment. They can pull resources from and fund these scholarships and, and essentially out, legally outbid other schools for players and it not be applicable to 11.7 and not be applicable to the same admission standards and not have an impact on the APR. Because because it's not an athletic scholarship, I can process that kid right on out and not even take a hit in APR. So, again, I'll have more on this. But understand, you know, when you, you what's happening today, you get two need-based aid schools playing head-to-head for a national championship. This is the future of college baseball, unless this loophole is closed. The talent, the available talent on the rosters, are not, it's not going to be necessarily equitable as long as this is allowed. And I think in many respects, the fact that we we have two teams playing for it, because the argument always was, you know, well, yeah, Vanderbilt's doing this, but, like, you know, they didn't make it to Omaha last year, Mississippi State. You guys, matter of fact, you, you Mississippi State boys, despite the fact that you didn't have those five need-based scholarships per year, which gives you between 15 and 20 players per year on your roster that, that are on, on an a 11.7 scholarship, right? You still went to Nashville, and you beat them two out of three in a Super Regional, and you went to Omaha. That's always been the argument. It's like, you know, well, yeah, they're able to do this, but you're still beating them. And so I understand the rub, but I also understand more times than not, the team with the better players are going to win. That's usually how it works. That's usually how it works. And it's something that needs to be addressed, and it is a loophole that needs to be closed. And I think what needs to happen in order for that to happen to eliminate that, you've got to allow more scholarships. You've got to allow more funding for college baseball. It's been 11.7 scholarships forever and a day. Can you imagine, as one college baseball insider mentioned to me, can you imagine the outcry if it was discovered in the state of Alabama that Auburn had one more football scholarship than Alabama did? Like if Alabama was at 85? But Auburn found a way to just get one more kid on scholarship. And it was legal. Can you imagine how much scrutiny there would be, how much outcry there would be? Or let's say for an example, if, uh, if, if the SEC as a whole found a way to fund some additional football scholarships, let's say three per school, and so then all of a sudden you're taking the field with 85 and Mississippi State and, and Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and everybody else is taking a school with 88. Can you imagine the national outcry that there would be over that? There would be unrest and blood in the streets if that were the case. But because this is college baseball and not many people really care, and because predominantly it is, it, you know, here's, the, here's, the, here's the reality of college baseball. 
there are a lot of people that look at college basketball and college football and say, you know what, these guys are getting fully funded scholarships from many of these kids. They could never go to college without this. And you know what? That's true. They look at college baseball and say, you know what, this is mostly groups of kids whose parents are you know, somewhat successful and they all play travel baseball and they have the, the best gear and their parents can afford to do it. And so nobody really cares if somebody gets screwed in the deal. That's really the attitude. It's like, well, you know, how do you feel bad for the, you know, for the, the, the wealthy kids? You know, and I can tell you this, most of our parents, most of the Mississippi State baseball parents are not rich people. They're not rich people. I don't know how they do it, to be honest with you. You know, and I traveled pretty cheaply this year. I went to every road game this year outside of Oxford, Mississippi. Went to every one. I've seen the Bulldogs play in Frisco, Texas. I've seen them in College Station. I saw them in Knoxville, Tennessee. I saw them in Gainesville, Florida. I went over to Hoover to see them. I've been everywhere to see them. Been to Omaha, Nebraska. And it, and I, I admit to you, it was a challenge for me. I had to travel cheap at times. That's what I had to do. And that was just me traveling by myself more times than not. I can't begin to imagine every weekend, because not all of our baseball parents live in Mississippi. Some of them actually uh, lease or have bought a condo here to get them through baseball season, you know, and they Airbnb at the rest of the time just to make ends meet. But I can't imagine having to load an entire family and chase your kid around the country. Now, you do what you got to do. I know when my kid played college baseball, I went to every game I possibly could. It didn't always work out. It was difficult. And so these people are not necessarily wealthy people. And I'm not judging them. I'm just pointing out to you, most of them are like me and you. Most of them are middle-class people that, um, you know, we work hard and we pay our bills and hopefully we're able to save a little bit and take a vacation at the end of the year. And... Uh, it's quite a financial commitment for them to be able to follow their kid around the country, watch them play baseball. And I'm sure they wouldn't trade the memories for that money back in one second. I know that I would. But it is important to acknowledge that this, while some people look at this as a rich, a rich kid sport, it's not. It's likely a middle-class kid sport. And there's a lot of our kids, especially Mississippi, and, I, and I've traded some. Listen, this is not just a Steve Robertson issue. I can tell you, college baseball writers as a whole, we've all talked about this here in the last week because we could all kind of see what was happening when Vanderbilt and Michigan kind of on a collision course winning their first two ball games in their regionals. And you know what? This, is, this might be good for the game because it might bring some attention to the fact that there is this loophole that needs to be closed or it needs to be more, more readily available to everybody. But the bottom line is this. There are a lot of our kids... And, and I'll give you Mississippi as a great example. And, and in being a Mississippi kid, I feel like I'm perfectly entitled to say this, and I'm going to. There are a lot of our kids that grow up that don't have a lot. And th- at that point, they become much more likely to sign a professional baseball contract. If they have the ability to catch the eyes of college baseball scouts and MLB scouts, and they don't have much, we don't have a need-based scholarship we can offer them. We can't say, hey, listen, we will give you 100% scholarship for four years, and we'll make sure you get a college degree, and pro baseball will always be there. We don't have that ability to do that. We can't. But an MLB team says, you know what? Here's the deal. We can probably draft that kid 
we can draft old Johnny from Bug Tussle and maybe the, I don't know, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round, and uh, we can offer him the minimum that the collective bargaining agreement allows, and chances are he's probably going to sign for it because his family needs the money. And so there is some exploitation involved in all this. And I, and I think if, if, you want, if you want diversity in college baseball, you need to fund more scholarships. It's as simple as that. Let's look ahead. Mississippi State had a big football recruiting weekend uh, week last week. Uh, State picked up a, a couple of big commitments on Friday. One of those, a recommitment to the class. That being Tulu, uh, Lediatric Griffin from Philadelphia. I've been a fan of his you know, for a couple of years now. Had a chance to see him play. Slot receiver. We need receivers. When uh, he decommitted, he committed decommitted the same day as Alex Adams. Mississippi State has worked exceptionally hard to get him and his family back on campus, to sit down, have some interaction with them, continue to foster a relationship. And while I was told a month or so ago, despite the fact that some people around him were kind of saying, hey, you need to go to a Miss, you need to go to Ole Miss, get them more of a chance, the kid really wanted to go to Mississippi State. That's what he wanted. And it seems like, as of right now, that's what is going to happen. Now, this is one that Mississippi State is going to have to continue to recruit. We've got six months before the early signing period. Six months. A lot can change. Some of the schools recruiting him will likely see coaching changes. Some of the schools recruiting him will see new guys come in that have relationships with him. But I think Mississippi State's in a good position. I think the only team you got to really worry about here is Ole Miss. But we'll see how things progress. I, I really like Tulu. I think Tulu is a... It, it really brings an element to the offense that we need. He'll be that Dedrick Thomas, Chad Bumpus, Jamion Lewis type kid. Okay, now, that's the role that he plays, and his production depends on him. But he is a, a fantastic, explosive player. And he's a guy in space that I think can really make some big things happen. Currently ranked the fourth player in the state of Mississippi. If they can get him to football this year at Philadelphia High School, he'll put up a huge, huge senior season. A name that's somewhat new, I guess, to casual recruiting fans is a guy that uh, one of the better players in the state of Mississippi, currently ranked the number five player in Mississippi. I think when it's all said and done, he might move up. That's Dylan Johnson from Greenville St. Joe. They got a couple of Greenville St. Joe might win the whole thing this year, guys. They got a couple of explosive offensive players with uh, Benson and Johnson. Benson recently committed to Oregon and then Johnson to Mississippi State. Uh, Johnson approaching 20 offers. Commits to Mississippi State over offers from Missouri, Oregon, Arkansas, Arkansas State, Austin P, UL Lafayette, Louisiana Tech, Louisville, Memphis, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Tennessee Martin, Washington State, and several others. Uh, but he is an explosive player that uh, I don't think – there hasn't been the buzz around him that I think he is due. And uh, we'll get out and go see him. We'll spend some time with him this fall, and uh, we'll get you guys some video. But uh, if you can call that up on his profile and check him out, six foot, one hundred and ninety-five ish. Can play running back. Can play receiver. He can play any number of positions. He can absolutely change your all for you. He is an explosive football player. I believe one of the more undervalued players in the state, despite the fact that he's got four stars next to his name. I don't think enough people are talking about him. 
And I think now that he's committed to Mississippi State, you know how some guys kind of lose their hype when they commit? I think because of the fact that a lot of people were looking more at Trey Benson, that they maybe they, they kind of slept a little bit on Dylan Johnson. And I think now that he's committed, that there are going to be a lot of people that play, you know what, this kid can really play because he can really play. I think this is a great get for Mississippi State. One of the better commitments in the class, and you begin to think about offensive players. We talked about Terry Richardson, and I'm going to mention this because nobody else seems to want to talk about this. Terry Richardson is destroying Charles Huff right now. Terry Richardson, Mississippi State's running back coach, has already proven in uh, you know the few months he's been at Mississippi State to be a better recruiter and evaluator of running backs than Charles Huff. Charles Huff came in with the reputation of being a big game hunter. I think Huff's a great guy. I think Graves a great, great, great person. But based on the returns, based on because uh, you know, you can tell me how good he is, but the proof is in the pudding. I go back and look at Mississippi State's running back recruiting for the class of 2019. I think Terry Richardson has done a better job in 2020. Now I think Lee Witherspoon can be an explosive player at Mississippi State. He, I don't think he's an every-down player. I think you move him around some. I think Joe will know how to use him. And you go sign Kareem Walker, a junior college guy. But, but here's the deal, okay? And, I, and, and I don't, I, I'm going to be careful how I say this because I love every kid that comes to Mississippi State. I'm not being negative about them. But Charles Huff kind of got Witherspoon and Walker by default. And what I mean by that is is that Witherspoon was a late bloomer, so as a result, the recruiting process was relatively abbreviated for him. And in the end, the chance to stay home, play in the Southeastern Conference, somewhat reasonably close to home, it was a good decision for him. And again, I think there will be great value in Lee Witherspoon. But Charles Huff did not have to work exceptionally hard to get him, if you understand what I'm saying. He didn't have to go beat Alabama and Auburn for him. And this is a kid that's an explosive player, and it's good that State had room for him as a late bloomer. So it'll turn out to be a good thing for Mississippi State. But it was not some champion of recruiting that got him landed. Okay? Same thing with Kareem Walker. Kareem had some FCS offers, some low D1 type offers. Huff had a relationship with him. We were, State's the only Power 5 school that even actively pursued him. And again... Kareem Walker makes sense to me as a depth guy, a guy that can come in this year. You know what you got in Colin Hill. You know what you got in Nick Gibson. Kareem Walker can come in and, and be your third running back. And if you get anything above that, it's an absolute home run for you. But again, it didn't take some Herculean effort to get him in the class. And, and that's really what I'm saying. When I make these comments about Weatherspoon and Walker, it is not a commentary on their ability. It is on the, the fact that Mississippi State was able to get them uh, without a lot of heyday. You know, we didn't have to have a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't have to pull out all the stops. It wasn't something we had to sweat out. We're happy to have them because they feel a need at Mississippi State. They fit what we're looking for in many respects. They fit a need for us. But it wasn't some big game, the end of some big game recruiting effort that Charles Huff reeled them in. And now I look at what Terry Richardson has done. Terry Richardson goes into Atlanta, Georgia, and gets a commitment from Jaquavius Marks, beats out Florida State and others for him, had Marks on campus over and over and over. And listen, to be fair, Charles Huff kind of got the, the first wheel on that wagon. But Terry Richardson got him in the boat. 
My man T. Rich goes out there and beats out Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Boston College, and several other schools. Several other schools. And lands the number 14 running back in America in Jaquavius Marks. Number 14 in the country. Pardon me, number, number 17. 17 running back in the country. A lot of rankings out there. And then you go out and you get Dylan Johnson. You know, another guy that's highly recruited. You know, a guy that's taken some official visits to other places. You know, he, there were a lot of people that didn't think Mississippi State was going to be in a mix with him. And so Huff goes out, gets a couple of three-star backs, a late bloomer, and a guy looking to kind of reboot his college career. And, again, I, I hope both those guys come in and they're all FCC players. And then Terry Richardson comes in and is able to get two four-star running backs within the first six months of his employment at Mississippi State. So – Let's get excited about that. That was a one one of the criticisms we look back. It was two things I think you look back last year and say, okay, we had a really good class. We did. I don't know if it was a great class because we were probably a linebacker or two short. And our running back recruiting, I don't know if we got a difference maker at running back. And you look at this year, Charles Huff is gone. You bring in Terry Richardson. Your running back recruiting picks up re- remarkably. It's incredible. Tim Lukabu leaves. You bring in Chris Marv. Your linebacker recruiting gets better. We had two linebackers in the state of Mississippi last year, two what people believe highly coveted linebackers, and Derek Hall. Uh, and um, and the Kobe Dean. Yeah, but in Mississippi State, did not get an official visit from either one of those guys. Two guys in your home state at a position of need for you and you don't even get a visit. And uh, there's, no way, there's no way to spin that in a positive manner. It's just, it's just not. There's just no way to look at that and say, yeah, it's okay. You know, listen, we can make the argument Derek Hall may grow into a defensive end. That may be true. And N'Kobe Dean might be a little bit undersized to be an inside linebacker, and both of those things are probably true. But the bottom line is this, is these are two guys in your state, highly recruited, and you are, are putting together one of the best defensive efforts uh, in school history, one of the best defenses in the nation, and you couldn't even get an official visit from them. And so there's a coaching change there. And, again, I'm, this is not to be critical. These are facts-only comments. Then all of a sudden you bring in Chris Marv, and then suddenly we're a factor in the, the greater Memphis area again in recruiting. We get Tamaria McDonald in committed. We get uh, Jaquavion Brown from Horn Lake committed. The same high school as N'Kobe Dean. And I think Jaquavion Brown might be one of the most underrated players in the state of Mississippi. But it's incredible. And so I think it's important to kind of point out that uh, we have seen a sense of an upgrade when it comes to recruiting at these positions. And I, I think Joe Moorhead has done well to, uh, to add to his staff and I think you're going to see a lot of dividends of Michael Johnson, too. I don't want, I don't want Michael Johnson's to, to name to be forgotten. He's a guy that's come in, and all of a sudden you're in the mix with a lot more receivers. And sometimes it's just not the right fit, guys. You know, sometimes you bring in guys, you know, in theory it makes sense. You know what, this guy's got the NFL experience. This guy knows an NFL linebacker when he sees him. But until you've had to sit there and try to talk a 17-year-old kid into thinking, okay, you need to come with us and convince his family, until you've had to do that, it's a different animal. Before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the latest thing that's going on in the Southeastern Conference with uh, with NCAA issues. 
you know, I'm sure you have read that there have been some reports about of uh, out of Baton Rouge with Our Lady of the Lake Hospital and uh, John Paul Fumez, a uh, LSU booster and an absolute LSU crazy. This is a guy that has been on the scenes, on the sidelines at, at LSU football games, not in the stands, not in the luxury suites. He's been on the sidelines, and I think that in and of itself is is a problem. This is a guy that clearly had access to the program. At the very least, he had access to somebody who could give him a sideline pass. You can see video of him online. It's been plastered everywhere of him welcoming players back to the sidelines after a big defensive stop. He's slapping helmets and shoulder pads and everything else. And now he is mixed up in this huge scandal, has now pled guilty to an embezzlement scheme, I guess, involving... uh, I can't even remember how much money it was, but uh, a tremendous amount of money. Let me look real quick. The report I just read, $810,000. And he was head of a foundation that uh, at Our Lady of the Lake that, uh, you know, that was just one of those deals where um, this money was earmarked to help kids with cancer, man. But because this guy felt like that, uh, you know, his school needed, uh, you know, needed some assistance. He's involved in this thing. Um, it's just, it's very unfortunate to think what price winning takes on people. And so here's the deal. And, and there's some in LSU media like, well, you know, he's a rogue booster. It won't impact the school. Let me tell you this. Uh, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. And it's hard. It's difficult to say that he is a rogue booster when he's on your sidelines. It'd be one thing if he's some guy tucked away in a basement somewhere, you know, uh, I don't know, greater Memphis or whatever, and uh, and he's trying to work out some, uh, you know, prepaid ATM card, bank card scheme. That's one thing. But it's another thing when you've got a guy out there embezzling money earmarked for kids with cancer and then using that money, part of that money, we don't know what to use it all for, but part of that money to uh, to pay a student-athlete's family. Now, I don't know the nature of those payments, but I think we're all smart enough to realize that that something is rotten in Denmark. There's absolutely no way that LSU skates on this thing. I know a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, Steve, it's always LSU. They always seem to get away. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that uh, this this basketball probe and this mess with Will Wade, this, this is far from over. Okay, and so now all of a sudden you begin to look at this and say, okay, do we have, you know, a cultural issue here at LSU? And and, and after living in Baton Rouge for, for 16 years, I can tell you, yes, y- yes, yes, there is. And some would say, well, Steve, is this the tip of the iceberg? I don't, I don't know. But I can tell you that there is no shortage of people that are willing to help. Now, this is a very egregious and gross situation. There is no way to feel good about this. Uh, I do understand that LSU reported the, this information as soon as they found out about it, as soon as the compliance department found out about it. Uh, I've seen Les Miles has been quoted saying he had no idea this was going on. That's what you expect everybody to say, what they do, what they don't don't know. I'm not going to implicate anybody in that. But let me just say this. This is not a situation that is dependent on hearsay. This is actual evidence, and there are records. There is a paper trail. And the booster has admitted to the conduct. He has admitted to the embezzlement. 
in this uh, pleading, when he pled guilty as part of the plea arrangement, he admitted to the conduct. So this is a little more cut and dry than even as much as the old missed stuff was. You know, a lot of the old missed stuff came down to, uh, you know, it was he said, she said, and then whoever had the phone records, you know, it, it kind of made sense. You know, this is involving a, a legal case, as is the NCAA basketball stuff with, uh, with Nike and, and uh, Adidas and other schools. There is, because of the fact that there was a subpoena power involved in all that, there are going to be some documents going to be made available in NCAA. And so if I'm an LSU fan, and I'm not, thank goodness, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel good. And I wouldn't feel good about these media reports saying, nah, it's all going to be okay. Uh, I don't believe it's all going to be okay. And uh, I think because of the, the seriousness of this, and the optics on this, when you begin to look at the fact that people gave money to an Our Lady of the Lake charity to help people with cancer, people going through the worst illness of our time, people that are dying, people that needed that money for treatment or for aid or for anything for their family, whatever, people in the throes of death have had the quality of their life cheated so this guy could be involved with paying a football player to help his team beat Alabama. That's about as bad as it gets. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I hope everybody involved in this deal is hold 100% accountable. I don't care if you turned a blind eye to it. I don't care if you were complicit in the scam. I don't care if you knew about the payments. Everybody involved in this deal needs to be held accountable. There is absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This has to be handled appropriately. And I don't just mean disassociating people. I think if there's anybody involved in criminal conduct in this deal, anybody whose hands this money passed through need to be held accountable by the legal authorities in the state of Louisiana, and if necessary, the feds need to get involved. There needs to be a major statement made about this case. Absolutely inexplicable, the conduct of these people involved in this. You want to talk about college athletics going awry? You'll never see a better example of this. Somebody rips money out of the hands of cancer patients to give to a college football player. I'd hate to say that I'm I'll be short of saying that I'm shocked because I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. I'm disgusted and appalled, and I hope you are too. Well, folks, it's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk a little more college baseball, and we'll enjoy a little bit of downtime here. Paul Jones did a great job for us while we were in Omaha covering the camps, and we had some commitments and 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 had daily updates on the threads, man, every day in camp. Paul's keeping everybody abreast, and – we look forward to a little bit of a uh, you know, a little bit of a vacation of sorts. Paul's going to be out this week, and uh, Dave's going to be out. I'm I'm back from Omaha, and uh, a little bit difficult getting motivated today, but uh, we're going to have a good week, and we'll have a lot to read, a lot to talk about over on Gene's page. So come join us, will you? And if you hadn't done so, go to StarkVillains.com, order your Stark Villains gear. I had so many people at Omaha that said, "Hey, I'm going to order that shirt." I listen to the show all the time. So many great Boneyard listeners came up and said hello. That means the world to me. It's always great to feel like that you're doing things that matter. And uh, there are so many times I sit at this desk and I record things and I begin to think, I don't even know if anybody's going to pay attention to any of this, but, uh, but you clearly are. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>